back to Bit About Crypto. I'm David James, the Job Whisperer. And once again, we're here in Las Vegas, cooling down. Cooling down. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It's only 86. Yeah. Dave Hampton, Robo Recruiter. Why'd I call you that? Because I'm relentless. He is so relentless. And, uh, I don't yeah, give we, up. Yeah, we're... Uh, so a bit about crypto, <laughs> the genesis of it is I realized, man, there's a lot of people talking real high level about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, and there's no one actually speaking to those that want to learn about it. And so we decided hey, we're going to do a bit about crypto, and we were going to bring on guests, and through assimilation, everybody can actually have a different take, human interest stories. And, you know, being a, thank God I'm a recruiter, because finding guests is hard, and finding good guests Mm-hmm. It's even harder. And uh, I want to talk about, you know, when you, you know, as, as recruiters, <clears throat> when we meet somebody, you know, that's got that it factor. You mm-hmm. say, yeah, this, we might not place in the space where they actually live, but you know, that if we did, they would be the kind of candidate you could send in and you could like staple the invoice to their back. Yeah. And you could say, beautiful at, thing. Yeah. At the end of the interview, why don't you just go to the accounts payable and turn around and let them rip that off your back? Tell them they David James said for you to cut the check right now, right? And then they actually leave the interview with the, the placement fee. Right. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> the beautiful well, thing about what we do is our product speaks for itself. That's right. Yeah. Being recruiters, it's the only only uh, talk about artificial intelligence, right? It's the only right. where your product goes, gets on an airplane by itself, gets off the airplane, finds the hotel. Yeah. Finds the place. Talk about automation, go, right? Go, goes to the interview, <clears throat> interviews with six people, tells them why I'm great, leaves, and then the company calls up and says, we are sending you money if that person works here forever. Yep. Right? And or so, at least for the next 90 days. <laughs> yeah, at least or, yeah, 91 days. Right? Um, shame on you for saying well, I mean, that. If they want more of a guarantee, we got to talk about what you, that looks like. Now you ruined it. Now I got to start all over again. So welcome to Bit About Crypto. I'm uh, so... Really, I had this epiphany about Bitcoin. When I went to BitBlock Boom, a Bitcoin maximalist only conference in Dallas, now, not the one that I just went to in 2021, but the one in August of 2020. And, you know, Bitcoin is dominated by males who are carnivores, who believe in working out, and they're libertarians. But there are females in that space, and you know, Erica, she was walking around, and I never really got to know her very well, but I saw her speaking to a group of people, and she was talking to some of these concepts, right? And uh, I was really impressed. I, you know, when you go to a population like that, everybody's in the learning tribe. They're in the blockchain Bitcoin learning tribe. And if you show a sincere willingness to understand what sound money is, what protest and what hope is, and to learn how we've really been given a fraudulent system as it relates to our fiat currency. You're impressed. And I was really impressed with the way she was speaking. We met briefly. And, you know, uh, our guest, she, uh, she actually offers a couple of services and uh, her online services. She'll actually help people uh, figure out how to actually, like, uh, retrieve lost wallets or check your backup codes or all things Bitcoin related. And I didn't know that there was a service like this. Right. And so I had contacted her on some occasions just to get additional information. So but so. Not, not only is she a great Bitcoin advocate, and she's going to talk about this, but she told me <clears throat> that it was she who spoke to Michael Saylor in April of 2020, and I, I, I might have the date wrong, and told him that 
about Bitcoin. And I'm probably butchering the story. And he said, yeah, no, it's not a thing. And now I think Michael Saylor is probably one of the one, two or three people in the world that are responsible for buying Bitcoin and putting it in one place, which is on the balance sheet, yep. micro strategy. So I'm looking forward to hear it. But, but so I, I don't know much about her background other than she went to uh, Emory Riddle, aeronautics, and so you know, you know us being recruiters. Anybody goes to that school and graduates with the aeronaut, right, with the yep. degree, pretty smart, pretty smart, pretty and, smart. And she knows how to fly a plane. And I'm just, I'm just dying to talk to her about how she actually went from okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn aeronautics, I'm gonna fly a plane. How you actually uh, got into Bitcoin because she was, she was there early, right? And also, here's a very important thing, and. Uh, you know, be, being a minority female, she's got a big thing about actually empowering women and teaching them Bitcoin. And so we're going to get into all that. So, I mean, I'm just so excited about her. So with no further ado, let's let's welcome uh, Erica Gemma, the Bank of Erica. Welcome. What a nice introduction. Thank you. I, I meant it all. I swear to God, I meant it all. <laughs> right? Thanks. So uh, anyhow, so let's just uh, talk about your back. So let's talk about like from like being a little baby all the way to say 12th grade. Where would you grow up? What did you do? What was your socioeconomic family life like? Yeah. So my parents are immigrants. So I'm the first in my family to graduate from college. I'm actually the first in my family to be born here in the United States. Uh, I grew up in the Seattle, Washington Wait, wait. Area. Where are your parents from? Um, so my mom is Filipino and Chinese and my dad is Filipino and Spanish. Okay. Do you speak any yeah, Tagalog? So, no, I don't. I just in, a little bit. In, um, any actually, Spanish? Yes, because I live in Miami. Yeah, yeah. So, Miami is so, the biggest uh, city in in Cuba. So, so if I <laughs> <laughs> so if I say "Ayos Mari," you understand that, right? Or, Ayos Mari. Yeah, like uh, all, all right, sister. No, it's slang. No, you don't hear that. No, slang. Um, okay, more Spanish. We'll stick to Spanish. Yeah, that's funny. The largest city in Cuba, Miami. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So, the most yeah. important city in Latin America, Miami. <laughs> so, so you uh, you grew up in Seattle, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, grew up in Seattle, born and raised. Um, I was always interested in aviation. Really, uh, I flew my first plane when I was 16 years old. I got my pilot's license when I was 18. I think probably growing up around Boeing made it really interesting for me there. Um, socio oh socioeconomic status. Obviously, my parents were immigrants. I was one of six, so did not grow up wealthy at all. Definitely shared a lot with my siblings, but I definitely don't regret anything that was, uh, in uh, my life. For humility, right? Making sure that you knew the world didn't revolve just around you, kind of thing. Yeah, and then like learning to share. Um, you know, learning how to deal with conflict. I feel like sometimes yeah. when you're an only child, you don't really know how to deal with conflict. Amen. Uh, so. Yeah. That's, that's why I have four kids, you know, they can, they can figure it out amongst themselves. I got a whole bunch of kids, but that ain't the reason. I didn't have them so they could figure it out amongst themselves, but I digress. But, you know, go on, Erica. Yeah, so uh, grew up in, in the Seattle area. My, my high school was actually the most diverse high school in Washington State. Uh, but because I started aviation when I was in high school, I think I was 16 years old when I was the first uh, when I was the only girl in a classroom full of guys. And that's because we were learning how to fly. So I think I've been accustomed to being like a girl among men uh, for a long time. And for some reason, my interests have just kind of followed that. Uh, after I left school, wait, actually, wait, before you before you left school. So were you like just a, a, a nerd geek or did you do any sports or, or any? What, what were you like into? As far oh, yeah. As- well, let's say like, uh, this is kind of personal, but my home life was like, not really that good. So I did whatever I could to not be home. Okay. Uh, so three season sports I actually was second in state in judo 
when during high school, um, gymnastics, soccer, and I also was in student government. Um, I also was like, you know, ahead of the yearbook like committee. Um, definitely very involved, but it was all just to make sure that I wasn't as home as much as possible. Okay. Are you the Are you the oldest? Where Where are you and your 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 siblings? I'm the second oldest. Second oldest. Okay. <clears throat> okay. And so, um, so you started flying in high school. That's, I mean, that's, I yeah. just don't hear about people like doing that. Like, yeah. How, like, how's I that knew even, what I wanted. Right. And, and, and you, <clears throat> that's and, awesome. And you sought that's, that. That's really awesome. And you sought that out. So, so, okay. So when you, when you got out of school, go on. Uh, so I'm actually a Bill and Melinda Gates scholar. Uh, so they paid for uh, my college, but one of the requirements was that I had to stay in Washington state for the first two years. Uh, so first year out of school, I went to one of the only universities in Washington that teach you how to fly professionally called Central Washington University, go Cougars. Uh, and um, from there, it was kind of like you know, learning to fly was just really expensive. Like, even though I had a scholarship that covered my expenses for school, I didn't have uh, money to pay for actual flight lessons after I got my license. So uh, I went back home um, and, you know, stuff drama with my parents, decided to come home to help my mom. And um, I got a degree in air traffic control. So I was going to become an air traffic controller. I was the youngest intern at the air traffic control center in Seattle. And uh, that was really fun. I was on the route to just, you know, pushing tin, pushing tin. Apparently, yeah, yeah. pushing tin. There you right. go. <laughs> and uh, explain to our audience the, uh, the expression pushing tin. Yeah, so pushing tin. I'm pretty sure it's a movie. Yeah, it uh, is. But that's yeah, that's what made it popular. Um, also, just I I never like I stopped watching TV too in high school, so I, I never got into movies or television or, or like really any of that because I was like always like trying to be out of the house. Uh, so I think that's shaped a lot of how I think. Um, but uh, pushing tin is essentially telling tin airplanes where to go. Yeah, that's right. It's it's an incredibly important job as far as the responsibility of the air traffic controller and safety. Yeah. I mean, people don't know how many airplanes are in the sky, but uh, there's definitely a lot of airplanes in the sky at yeah. one time. Right. Yeah. But it, you know, statistically flying is less, uh, it is less dangerous than driving. Yeah. It's, it's almost yeah. as dangerous L as COVID. planes in the sky than they're on the road, right? Isn't that the... Yeah. yeah. Flying is almost as dangerous as catching COVID. Almost. <laughs> um, so, so when you... Don't you're, say COVID. You're going to get banned. <laughs> yeah. hey, well, hey, I, key, hey, hey, put a mask on. I'm talking... I'm talking... I'm, 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 I'm talking about Bitcoin, right? And, uh, you know, that the, the, the fiat is uh, a fraud. So it's, it's coming anyhow. So I'll just get as many yeah. podcasts out until they ban me for speaking truth to power. So when you're like... 16 and learning to fly then you're going getting this degree to be an air traffic controller to what end you were thinking hey i want to be an air traffic controller but realized that you had better bigger aspirations than that or talk to me about where you are in that part of your life yeah so during that part of my life i was also and i, I feel like i've always been very interested in politics like even when i was younger i would tell people like don't take pictures of me if i'm doing something that's maybe a little bit questionable you know like underage drinking whatever i wouldn't <laughs> i usually cut that out you would never you would, <laughs> would never underage drinking no no it's, it's <laughs> that... a concept we don't have in america but go on yes so i, I was very um I just, for some reason, I always was involved in student government. So I always liked politics. And I remember at that point in my life, I was like, all right, well, it's time to 
understand what's going on in the global political sphere. So I remember watching TV. I was watching, you know, C-SPAN, CNN, like whatever news channels I could get a hold of. And I just distinctly remember one day I was watching Joe Biden talk and he was with talking with his hands and he was saying all these countries' names and all these big numbers. And I looked at him and I was like, this guy is lying to me. Like he's not saying anything of value. He's not even saying full sentences and he's lying. And I just could tell. And then um, I was listening <laughs> to a friend about it. I think, yeah, I, so be- I think I believe you. Go on. Yeah. And I mean, I was genuinely, genuinely just trying to understand what was going on in the political sphere. And at this time he was the VP. And so um, I was complaining to a friend about it, actually a friend named Ron. And he put me on to some Ron Paul videos and then, you know, just fell down the rabbit hole, fell in love. And I was like, this guy is the first person I've ever heard that actually makes sense in politics. Everything he's saying, I'm like, this is how the world works. It makes sense. So talk to our audience about like who Ron Paul is and, and what the libertarian ideology, you know, the, the things are a little contrarian just for context. Yeah. So uh, he ran for president. He's, he's a doctor by trade, you know, delivered hundreds of thousands of babies during his practice. Uh, but he ran for president in 2008 and in 2012. Um, the I, I would say his main thing is end the Fed. That was the movement that really brought uh, a lot of people together and I think really sparked a lot of people's journey into Bitcoin. And his big thing was that the Federal Reserve, which is the entity that is in charge of our money supply in the United States, needs to be ended or at least audited. Um, And that was just his main thing. I mean, he always said that he did not really want to win presidency, but he ran for president to um, bring awareness, bring light. Yeah, to bring awareness to a lot of the issues. Uh, He's not a career politician by any means, but he really invigorated the hearts and minds of a lot of young people, including myself. Uh, Rand Paul is his son, and he is really probably a super leader right now. Uh, He's also a congressman. Uh, Senator, I believe. Senator, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Okay. Uh, Yeah, yeah, It's uh, they're trying to ban him too. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Okay, so... So what type of, you know, usually what happens when someone's drawn into politics, it's an mm-hmm. issue is, hey, they're taking my guns. Hey, they're taking my air. You know, I mean, my, my, my daughter in her own way, she's incredibly political because of, of disenfranchised people and uh, uh, the, the environment and all those kind of, you know. So what was the thing for you that, that drew you to like the political rabbit hole, you know, environment, money? reproductive rights, whatever that thing was, right, that that really struck the emotional chord for you? It, it was the end the Fed movement. It was the, yeah, it was just the end the Fed movement. It was learning about the way the world really works and understanding that some of those things need to be exposed. Um, it was, you know, getting involved. I actually became a delegate in Washington State for Ron Paul because I just became so passionate about it. And it was watching the news and seeing them just disenfranchise him. It was seeing them you know, a debate happens, he has an answer. And what they do is they don't, they don't discredit him. All they do is they just pretend that he doesn't exist. Or they would say that his foreign policy sucks when he has the best foreign policy and and the most money raised by veterans than any other presidential candidate. So um, 
it, it was really just like, I guess, being a young person, being a teenager and understanding, whoa, this is really how the world works. And here is a politician that is trying to expose that and getting behind that movement, uh, meeting friends, meeting like-minded people. And at that point, I was just learning, you know, I think everybody else who was a delegate and my, my new community of people that I engaged with at that place, I mean, they were all significantly older than me, but I was just, I was just passionate. You know, it, it was, you know, he he had a really good chance of winning. And I remember some people in that group, they went to Florida to go caucus. Uh, and they told me when they returned that they all had gotten on this bus and this bus was supposed to go to the place so they could put their vote in for him as delegates of Washington state. Mm -hmm. And they told me the story about how this bus just drove around in circles and never made it to the destination. So they were able to vote. Um, things like that just like rocked my world because I didn't know that the world worked the way that I know it works now. Uh, so I, w I wasn't cynical. And I think that just getting behind that movement and, and understanding that maybe more people need to know this um, and maybe I'm supposed to be somebody that helps spread that word. Interesting. So then what? So uh, also through that group of people, I learned about Bitcoin. Yeah. So, and so what, yeah, so yeah. what year is this? So I, the question I always ask, but you, you, you stepped on my thunder. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so how did crypto find you? So, or how did Bitcoin find you? So what year was this that you learned about Bitcoin? So this was 2011, 2012. Um, okay. It was through this group of Ron Paul people that I had first learned about. And I was like, whoa, like this is an option, right? This is uh, technology. Everything can be used for good or it can be used for evil. Mm -hmm. And in this case here is technology that's used for good because when you look at the Genesis block of the Bitcoin blockchain, it references the bailout of the banks. I mean, I don't know about your listeners, but I know that personally myself, like my parents, they lost their house in the financial crisis. And I I think that's actually probably what spurred me down to figure out what the heck happened in the world. And I learned that it was just like, you know, mispractices by the banks. Um, so I, I when I saw Bitcoin, I was like, this is a, it just gave me hope. Like this is definitely a stand up way that we can deal with the problems that we have without necessarily needing to fight them, uh, maybe just exiting to a different solution. So I, I want to stop for a second. I want to talk about the financial crisis. So here's what ended up happening, right? <clears throat> and Joe Biden is, is a perfect example, right? He is supported by <clears throat> Delaware, which is a heavy banking. So the banksters all support Joe Biden, right? So if it's if it's pro-bank, then someone like Joe is going to be all for it. And what ended up happening is the bank said, hey, you know, we can't make enough trillions, so we need to deregulate. And what ended up happening is they made it so they could actually have these bad loans that people who the disenfranchised could qualify for with these mm -hmm. usurious uh, interest rates that were going to go up and up and up. And hey, as long as the price of the house goes up, nobody cares, right? They, they could just refinance, right? The equity upon the equity on equity. And what ended up happening is when the whole thing came, right, the politicians, they rewarded not the victims. They rewarded the actual criminals that created all of it. And I, that's, that's just, I'm, look, I'm all about fairness, Man, and uh, I just I, I saw so many people get wrecked just in 2007, yeah. 2008. Can you can you speak on how you felt about that? I mean, you, you touched about your parents. Yeah, I mean, I was a teenager. I was like probably uh, 2008. I was probably like 14 or 15. Um, but uh, it didn't 
like I didn't really understand what was going on. And the thing is too, is that the way that this whole banking thing works, and, and I've talked to a lot of friends who are also millennials who were affected by this as well. And they um, they kind of have similar stories to mine where uh, even though the banks like foreclose on the home, you were not required to actually leave or move out of your house until like some certain paperwork happened. So it was, it was sometimes like, I think it was like even a year later where we actually had to move out. But it was just during that time as well, you know, I, I remember walking into a room and seeing on TV that um, Greece had fallen and uh, banks were only allowing people to take out $35 a day. So it was just like this global, like, whoa, like what's going on in the world? Like people don't actually have access to their money. Um, so yeah, just the financial crisis. I mean, what I felt, I guess I didn't really know what to feel. Thankfully, like my family was able to stay in the home that we were in until we could find another solution. Um, but it, it's definitely like horrible to see your parents be like, wow, like we can finally like buy our house and then just have that taken out from under them, seeing the banks get bailed out, seeing some of these banksters make millions of dollars overnight and the people get nothing. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So you found Bitcoin. And so let's talk about your walkthrough. Wait a minute. When people... Finding Bitcoin means so many things to so many people. Yeah. So I want, I want to hear about, yeah, your journey, right? So this is when I first heard about Bitcoin, okay? This was also 2011, 2012 when the payment channels were not there. Um, I thought it was great. It was also broke. So yeah. I, I, and also it's like, I mean, I... I wait, wait, what was, like, what was the price of Bitcoin when you heard about it? Man, it had to be like sub $100. Yeah. I, like, I tried. Like $10, right? Yeah, something like that. Um, but what happened was, it's kind of like the way that I attribute it to is, you know how, I don't know if any of you guys have been in, been in an abusive relationship, uh, but sometimes when you get out of that abusive relationship, you tend to brain dump everything. And for me, I kind of learned that we were in an abusive relationship with the state, that they were taking advantage of us. And so- I mean, as it, as it relates to our, our money, the money they're giving us, right? I mean, as it relates to everything, right? Okay. As it relates, to, yeah. As yeah. it relates to, like, it was just like me being young, getting involved in this movement, being inspired by the people that I saw around me that were very well accomplished, very intelligent, very well read, <sighs> learning about Bitcoin, staying as a part of this movement, and then at the end having so much hope because I was young and I didn't know how the world worked, and then just completely being crushed because the powers that be are just so strong. Um, just like feeling that I, I brain dumped everything, honestly, like I was just like, let me just forget about this. There's absolutely no way that I'm going to be able to affect the world through politics. Uh, at that time, I moved from Washington state to Florida to attend Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, where I got my um, bachelor's degree in aeronautics. But that transition, I just brain dumped everything. And I think that's probably how I deal with my life in general, but I forgot about Bitcoin. Um, just completely what, forgot. Was that a happy time for you? <laughs> Do, uh, finishing I mean, that degree and doing that? Or or were you just, was it, um, was, was it like a, an occupation of time, like the way you're running out of the house? Or, talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So me going to university at Edinburgh Riddle, that was such a fun time. Okay, good. <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like I, I always have fun. And I think part of that is because like I don't let maybe losses affect me so much. Um, but I wish that I did. I remembered Bitcoin because that would. <laughs> don't we all, um, right? <laughs> right. Uh, so, I mean, it was great. Like I also um, 
I, I have a degree in aeronautics, but I, during that time, I was still interested in economics. So I was the department chair. Of, um, I was a student assistant for the department chair of economics. I would host debates on campus, Austrian versus Keynesian economics. Um, and it, I mean, it was just great. Like I, Ember-Riddle was the school of my dreams that I never thought that I would be able to go to. Uh, so just being there, you know, moving ac across the country, like away from my family, that was uh, definitely a good experience to know that I'm I'm fully self-sustainable. Um, such a good time. Yeah, I loved college. Okay, so you get out of uh, Emory-Riddle, right, your aeronautics degree, and then what? So uh, the first thing that I did when I graduated was I got an internship at this bank called CIT Bank, and that later turned into a consultancy, and it actually turned into a tech consultancy, basically. Um, but I worked for their aircraft leasing division, so buying, selling, trading commercial airplanes. Um, and then when that internship ended, their business aircraft side hired me to help them um, build a, like a management system, essentially. So... Um, this is this is kind of how I refound Bitcoin. So this is a huge, huge bank, right? They, they they don't even service retail customers. They just service banks and they do commercial loans. Uh, so what happened was um, there was one day where the CEO of the bank, his name is John Thane. Um, he was doing a Q&A and like a, a presentation for all of the new hires. Now, John Thane is a legendary bankster. He did the merger between Bank of America and Merrill Lynch. And, you know, 10 days later, Lehman Brothers falls. He walks away with $50 million. And now here he is, the CEO of the bank that I work for. Um, and I remember at the end of this conversation, he did a Q&A and, um, I just was racking my brain for a good question and I wanted to ask a really good question. And then I remembered Bitcoin and I asked him about Bitcoin and then he and everybody else in the room laughed at me and I was like, okay, this is serious. And then I went back down the rabbit hole. Got it. And so was his answer dismissive? It was pretty dismissive. I mean, he, he asked me what I thought about it and I that, told him that that's I code for that. That's boomer code for, I, 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 I don't have, know. I don't, I don't know, know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? I don't, about wanna, it? I don't, I don't know. And I don't want to look like an it, idiot. It's kind of reminds me of that scene in the big short where Michael, who's Michael Scott, uh, the big short where he says, Hey, how many, uh, people do you actually think are going to be able to be paying these loans? And he's talking about it and he's going like, he holds his hand up in the air and he goes zero, zero. And then he goes, I got to take this call. Uh, do you remember that scene in the big short? Where he's talking about any, uh, it, it was very dismissive. But anyhow, so go on. So you go down the rabbit hole with Bitcoin again, and then you're going to say, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something with Bitcoin." And what? yeah, okay, so, yeah. So what happened after that was um, the CIT Bank closed their aircraft leasing division. They sold all their airplanes to the Chinese. Just saying. Um, and so it, it's interesting because people don't <laughs> <laughs> people don't know this, but probably let's say at this point, probably like 50, 45, 50 percent of airplanes in the sky are on lease, and a lot of owners of those actual aircraft are Chinese companies, um, and they're just leasing them to American companies. So uh, definitely a wow. type, certain type of warfare, right? Um, well, so let's, let's just talk about that for a second. So during the Cold War, because right, I'm old enough to have been part of the Cold War, all right? <laughs> um, Nikita Khrushchev said that communists will win, right? And will beat capitalism. Communism will beat capitalism. And when asked, how do you know that? And they said, because the, the capitalists will sell will sell it to us, right? Now, mm -hmm. of course, that didn't turn out, but when you think about the fact that capitalists will sell out, right, the security of their country, that's exactly, he was right. It just wasn't going to happen with Russia in the 70s. It happened with China 
in the 1990s, the 2000s, and now the, the 2020s. So I just, when, when the thing you're talking about, it's exactly where we are. Yeah. And you know, that's one thing too, that I really bothers me, especially like I'm the venture, I'm a venture director. So we do invest into companies as well that, um, that in support the blockchain infrastructure. And I was thinking about it the other day and I'm like, the, the, the mindset of so many people, so many VCs is let me build my company enough so I can sell it to somebody. And so what you have is you just have these monopolies form because everybody builds this great tech and they just wait for this exit. And the person that buys their company never even uses the technology or the idea that they were initially building. Uh, so yes, I definitely think that there's an interesting balance like communism. I mean, capitalism is 10,000 times better than communism, right? But in, in a perfect world, you're definitely going to see issues with both sides. Yeah, so um, I don't know. I guess in an imperfect world, right? Which we live, right? Yeah. Which we live, right? I um, you know, there's there's something on your website, uh, or maybe it was your LinkedIn page, um, as far as you, the branding of you, where you have many photos. I don't know where, where maybe it's uh, your Telegram or what it is, where you're mentoring women where you're getting and if i remember like uh, abused women or disenfranchised women into bitcoin or minority women am i off base on that or do you actually have a okay. it was it was models so none of the okay above, so all yes, of the above models. all of the above no i'm totally kidding. well yeah no but i think you were talking i'm sorry it was so many years ago that, that I, I read it and it was like no this this is freedom so they they don't have to bank on managers or agents or can you talk about that yeah. So, uh, you know, what's so funny is that, um, this is, this is a great story. So my girlfriend, her name is Katie Kansas and she has a costume shop here. Shout in out to now. Kate. Shout out to Katie. <laughs> Shout out to Katie. Uh, and she, uh, actually creates costumes that are <laughs> NFTs as well. So if you buy the NFT, she'll send you the costume in her costume shop. Now, Katie <laughs> is the entertainment director for ultra music festival. Ultra music festival is one of the largest music festivals in the world. And so, um, she manages a lot of performers, dancers, uh, really talented women, and um, they're international. They're from all over the world because Ultra has music festivals all over the world. So after they had an event here in Miami, um, this was, I think, 2000, let's say 18 or 19, um, maybe, yeah, 18 or 19, after that festival, she is so forward thinking. She wanted to reward the girls with their bonus in Bitcoin. So she brought me out. Um, we actually had a sponsor, eToro sponsored it. And um, we taught all the girls about Bitcoin. They got their bonus in Bitcoin. The cool part about this was that uh, this was the day that the bear market ended. So so it had to have been 2000. This was 2019. Yeah. So uh, the girls, some of them get 50 bucks. Some of them got like a couple hundred dollars. You're talking about when it was 3000 and like right when, no. up from 3000. Yes. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes, that, all right. Right. Yeah, so we're just, we're on our way up. Right. So we're about to like three X minimum. Yeah, mm -hmm, exactly. So right. like March, 2019, uh, that, that night after ultra, the next day I teach all the girls, they're all very tired. Some of them go through the process and then get their Bitcoin. Some of them are just like, this is too hard. Like they don't do it, but most of them do right now that night I, I get home and I fell asleep on my couch. I took a nap. I woke up and I look at my phone and Bitcoin is up like 15%. And that was the day the bear market ended. And so, yeah, <laughs> it was because of the ultra angels. That's what I like to tell people. That's, that's an awesome story. And so are you, are you in contact with any of those women today? 
Yeah, I mean, Katie was telling me uh, very recently that some of them are just super thankful because those that kept it in Bitcoin, uh, their money is not worth $50 anymore. That's right. That's right. And so it's, it's funny. I'm going to something. So we got we got a lot of problems. I usually throw this up at people. Travis, do your thing. All right. As you can see here, I got the 100 trillion. Yeah. You know what? People, $100 trillion bill buys three eggs. So that means you, me, and Dave, we can actually share a meal. And uh, what do you think's happening? Yay. That's right. And I talk about <laughs> how 30% of all the currency ever printed in the history of the world has been printed in the last 18 months. Why, mm -hmm. why, why don't you talk about uh, the effect that's going to have? and how that's going to relate to Bitcoin. Yeah, you know, what I think, and one of the direct effects that we're seeing in relation to Bitcoin when it comes to money printing is that because the U.S. dollar is the world standard, you see a lot of countries using the dollar as their currency. For example, El Salvador, right? But what happens is when we in the U.S. are printing money, and then we also get stimulus checks. We don't necessarily feel that that strain because we're getting stimulus checks. But what happens in these other countries around the world that have a dollar standard that are not receiving stimulus checks, they really, really feel it. And this is why I think you see countries like El Salvador pop up because they know they can't trust the dollar anymore. Uh, like you said, 30% of it, of it has been printed in the last 20, like 18 months. Um, they know they can't trust the dollar. They don't want to use gold as a reserve. And the next possible thing is Bitcoin. So, um, you know, I just see, think what happened in Venezuela, what's happening in Zimbabwe. Uh, these are the places right now in the world where Bitcoin is the most adopted. And my audience in the United States, they the biggest pushback is like, why do we need this? We have the dollar. And it's because they're a little bit privileged. And I think that what's going to happen is people are going to understand why they need Bitcoin. Uh, and it's going to be for the same reasons as people in Latin America. And it's not necessarily because they want to get rich, right? It's because they don't want to get poor. And um, I think that, you know, gas prices, the prices of everything have been going up significantly. And people are going to be looking for stores of value. And they're going to have to wake up to the fact that, uh, you know, things are uh, this stimulus check, this this un, unchecked printing of money is absolutely not sustainable. So I'm going to argue that actually the price of gas, the price of meat, the price of rent, none of these things, in fact, have gone up at all. But the fact of the matter is, is the value of the dollar has, in fact, gone down. So to get the same potency, the same potency of the dollar, then uh, you got to spend more. Right. They, yeah. we're, as like Michael Saylor says, you know, it's a balloon losing steam. And speaking of Michael Saylor, this is the part of the show where you tell the story correctly. Yeah. No, you, you actually pretty much got it right. So um, I, uh, Katie actually has been friends with Michael Saylor for uh, many, many years as well. And so around that same time when I had taught the angels, she was like, hey, you want to go over to my friend's house? And I was like, sure. So we went over there. I didn't really know who he was, uh, but we were sitting around his table outside uh, myself, Eric Weiss, who he references often, Katie and, and some other people, I think we were having lunch and then uh, people started talking about Bitcoin. I was like, yes, absolutely. Because uh, Eric, he, he runs a fund, a blockchain fund. And so he and I were talking about it. Michael was obviously involved and um, we were having a, a little nice debate there, but Michael was not interested. <laughs> he just didn't think that it was real. And, and I get it, you know, I, I totally understand. Um, sometimes it, it's like, you don't buy Bitcoin until you really understand it. And, and you shouldn't buy it until you understand that, I guess, or until you trust somebody that says that they understand it. Um, 
and he was not ready at that point. <laughs> but now I'm glad because he's Roger Ver 2.0 towards the institution. I, I, don't, I don't know because you know he. They said Roger Ver is uh, Bitcoin Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Or is it uh, Andres Anopoulos? Who? Which one's the Bitcoin? No. Roger Ver. That's. Yeah, Roger. Ver. Roger Ver. I don't think Roger Ver is uh, Bitcoin Jesus. I think he's Bitcoin Moses. He cleared the way. Michael Saylor is Bitcoin Jesus. He is the Messiah because with him it has risen. He shall rise. Yeah. It shall rise again, and it did because of him. And so, if you guys think uh, I'm being blasphemous, I'm hurting your feelings, then you're not ready for blockchain. All right, go back to your eight track tapes. So, anyhow, but I'm going to ask you this type of question. You know, mm-hmm. it takes a leap of faith and a leap of intuition to trust, you know, and everybody goes through this when you, when you adopt Bitcoin as, as a way of life, right? I'm going to, I'm going to make the case for why I think Bitcoin is going to succeed without going into the, any of the Preston Fish or Jeff Booth or Robert Breedlove. Those guys are so articulate. It's just, I mean, I like being the dumbest guy in the room at BitBlockBoom, right? Because I, I'm around the people that are going to make me grow. Like I like golfing with golfers that are better than me because I, I pick up things. But when I think about the people that impress me, that they're just so smart, it's like, oh, my God, I'm so dumb compared to you, right? So smart. These are the ones that are buying Bitcoin. These are the ones that the Bitcoin maximalists. These are the ones that are, I mean, I, I mean, Jimmy Song, right, that I've had the pleasure, pleasure of meeting. I mean, Michael Saylor, Preston Fish, Jeff Booth, Robert Breedlove. I mean, Max Kaiser, right? Principles Before Personalities about Max, right? Ralph Hall. Right? These these guys are all talking about Bitcoin. They're not they're not shamming some other thing, right? Like Shibu Inu or any other, no one. I don't hear anybody saying we're going to buy Dogecoin. We're going to put it on our balance sheet for the future. That so it, it's because you know, I judge people for a living. I just believe these smart people are all saying the same thing about how Bitcoin is going to be the way. That that's that's the thing for me that keeps me believing when I'm in doubt. Right. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it is, is that, you know, Bitcoin is not for the faint of heart. It's not. It's not. So can you comment uh, about your whole, you know, on what I said or your own take um, on on like Rao Paul and Robert? No, just just, uh, just on how you know Bitcoin's going to win. OK. Um, how do I know Bitcoin's going to win? Well, you know, in general. I do think that blockchain is the next infrastructure that the world is going to be based on. And I'll say that um, I I write a lot about, I've written before in the past about CBDCs and let's just say like, okay. Central bank digital currencies for you in the audience. That's the, that's the digital version of the crap that actually you get out of the ATM. Go on, Erica. Exactly. Completely, completely digital, completely evil. If you ask me, Uh, I just, so let's say from a, we'll start big and then we'll get a little smaller. So from a big like world view, I guess, universe view, if you talk to anybody that's spiritual, including Robert B. Breedlove, including Jimmy Song, actually um, Robert Breedlove and Jimmy Song wrote a, a book called Thank God for Bitcoin. And I edited that book. So if you see like uh, in the back, like my name's in there. I didn't and, know that, but I'm going to get it. I didn't know that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, send you, I'll send you a copy. It's on Amazon. Okay. <laughs> Me too. No, we're going to buy it to support you. Okay, cool. Awesome. Uh, but it, it really makes a, an, a, an appeal to the church for Bitcoin, right? Because this is really holy money. When you look at every single evil thing that's happened throughout history, it's only been possible because counterfeit money 
was present, whether it's fake coins, whether it's, you know, actual fake dollar bills, or whether it's the Federal Reserve printing money that they shouldn't be because we're supposed to be on a gold standard. Only like mass, mass, mass evil things only occur because we have counterfeit money present. Now, when you talk to people that are spiritual, whether they believe in God, whether they believe in, um, you know, the zodiac signs, uh, whether they, whatever it is that they believe in, whether they believe in energies, a lot of people are saying that we are at the end of one time and we are at the rising of another, whether it's the dawning of the age of Aquarius, the return of, of Christ, like whatever it is, like people are saying that we are at the ending of times and the beginning of a new one. Um, and when you look at that, I don't think, and I don't, and nobody really thinks that the world is going to end and blow up and everyone's going to die and we're going to restart life from the beginning. What's going to happen is that technology is going to make it so we are living in a completely different system than what we exist on now. What we exist on now is extremely centralized, extremely middlemen. We are always looking to one entity and we have to trust that this entity is telling us the truth. But now technology has progressed us to a point where we don't have to. You know, George Gilder, he's one of my favorite writers. Um, I actually met him recently. He's super cool. He like quoted me in one of his things, but um, he writes a book called... Uh, life after Google, the fall of big data and the rise of the blockchain economy. I do think that this next technology that the world is going to be built on is blockchain because people don't trust their governments and rightfully so because they've they've seen things like the financial crisis happen. Um, so when I see that that, you know, Bitcoin is the one that opened the door for blockchain to exist, right? Uh, Bitcoin is the only one that really has like this this use case that's being adopted by the real world right now. Um, the, so, I mean, in general, I just think that that blockchain is going to take off because the timing of, of the world demands it. We need decentralized systems. Why is it that we are depending on insurance structures where everyone's paying into some black box and they don't know where their insurance money is going? And guess what? If you get in a car accident, even though you've had a clean record and paid thousands of dollars over the last 12 years of your life, you still have to pay the insurance company $1,000 just to look at what's going on. Why is it that these systems exist? Guess what? They don't have to anymore. And we're just the, the world is just becoming more enlightened. And I, I just think that that framework for that to happen happens with blockchain, happens with cryptocurrencies, happens with Bitcoin's immutable system. You know, imagine things like deeds, land titles. Uh, you know, governments are able to come in and say, oh, no, 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 you don't own that piece of land. We do. Look, it says here. And we're also the one that's allowed to say that this piece of paper is what's accurate. Why, why do we have to do that? We can timestamp things. We can, we can write things into the blockchain and make it so, you know, that here is this ledger that we look at that is unhackable, immutable. And instead of having to trust some third party that really does not have our best interest in mind. So I know this is going to take off simply from, from a large perspective, because this is how the world is just moving. It's time for an ascension. And I think this is, this is how the ascension is going to occur. Wow. I told you, David, when we first did this podcast, I said, I'm going to get Erica Gemma. Remember I said it to you? Yep. Right. And she like, you know, ghosted me in May. Right. And then she blew me off in June. And then she said, it's still in vacation in July. And then August, she granted me an audience. So anyhow, I just want to just talk about one thing, and that was so gr so great 
for our listeners. I want to talk about, so the central bank digital currencies, right? Now, the, the U.S. dollar after Bretton Woods in the World War II, it was agreed that all settlements would be in U.S. dollars. We're 5% of the world population, yet 88% of the population of the world settles or uses U.S. dollars as the, their reserve currency. And what ended up happening, everybody's trying to get these central bank digital currencies, and China is trying to be the first the first to market with their central bank digital yuan. And if they can get people to accept this digital yuan, right, then they can like get people to take it in Africa, get people to take it in Sweden or whatever it is, then they're going to actually front run the dollar, right? But that, that's their idea. Now, for those of you who are just learning, Bitcoin is secured and moved by miners all over the world. And what China, and there was, there was a concern that, uh, China was going to have more than 51% of the miners. And if you have more than 51%, then you can actually manipulate the blockchain. But I believe that because in, in the, the in intellectual enlightenment of the politicians in China, they decided if we can get rid of these miners, we can actually make the CBDC, our, our central digital yuan, yuan, the thing that works. And I really, what they should have done if they wanted to get rid of Bitcoin is they should have, uh, they should have been able, they should have franchised all the miners, enabled them free power, free whatever. And then once they, we got the whole blockchain, they would have said, okay, in China style, we're taking it all over, right? But they did yeah. the exact opposite. So, can you comment on how right or wrong you think I am about that? No, no, I, I think you're definitely correct. I mean, China already has their CBDC in in circulation, and in the United States, I mean, you're seeing things like uh, Jerome Powell, right? He says CBDCs are inevitable; it's only a matter of time. Um, you see things like uh, like like I really look into this stuff, but you know, the Bank of International Settlements they have they put out a paper, and I think there's 17 different countries that are building CBDCs. And you see what what they're talking about is they say that CBDCs are a third item on the balance sheet. It's not debt. Uh, it's not current circulating dollars. It's a completely new third item. So they just get to issue money to people. Um, the thing about China and, and what they want is they want control. And CBDCs, they provide just like this totalitarian amount of control over your money. If we think that our money and our, and our payment channels are already controlled now, uh, I can only imagine what's going to happen in a controlled and, and uh, a closed blockchain system that, that a CBDC is going to be. So yeah, I mean, China, definitely bad move in terms of turning those away. Uh, but I think that's also kind of just a testament to the time that we're living in, that they are actually supposed to make that wrong move. Because, that's correct. That's yeah. correct. Because it's divinely guided, because it's God's money, right? Yeah. And and that's like when I look at politics, and everybody says, oh, it's a shame that X is happening or Y is happening. And I just, I just think God picks the leaders, right? Just God picks the leaders, and everything happens. Whether you like Donald Trump or don't like Donald Trump, he was supposed to be there for four years, and what he did do is he was very disruptive on so many levels, right? He, he was yeah. disruptive in class, but he was disruptive as a president. But he did bring awareness to how fraudulent and broken the system actually is, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 you, you can't unsee that. Yeah, for me, I mean, he made he really made me understand. I feel like that there are actually more people that are for us than against us. You know, being a libertarian, I always felt like I am part of the small, small, small yeah. minority. Um, but I, I think that the um, 
nope, there's more people for us than against us. And and when you see all this compliance, when you see these people in the news, when you see these people in Hollywood, they uh, they probably don't even actually believe what they say, but they are doing that to make people think that their their uh, direction of thought is the majority, that they are the ones that have the mainstream. Uh, but I, I think that um, the opposition is actually much bigger than we think. They just don't want us to know and they don't want us to talk to each other about it. That's kind of part of, of why this sickness is is going around, right? To separate people. You're not allowed to hang out with your own family anymore. You're not allowed to have the hard discussions uh, because everyone might get sick and die when <laughs> everybody's going to die anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, thinking of, talking about thought tell our tell our new users people that are new to crypto new to bitcoin uh mm -hmm. what you just recommend as a general rule as a general rule i would say um hmm, one thing that i recommend to people really is uh not your keys not your coins and what that means is that uh, the same way you can hold gold, you know, gold has been this generational store of value for the last couple thousands of years because it's not tied to a single government and it can't be printed arbitrarily. Bitcoin is very, very similar to that. Not controlled by a single government or entity cannot be printed arbitrarily. Now, just like with gold, you can hold it in two different ways. You can hold paper gold, meaning that you have gold in a vault somewhere and you trust somebody to be holding that gold for you. The other way you can hold gold is you take physical delivery of it. You know, you wear it, you put it in your safe, you bury it in your backyard, whatever it is. Um, now, Bitcoin, even though it is a purely digital asset, you are also able to hold Bitcoin in those two ways. You can Hold it in a way that you trust someone to hold your Bitcoin for you, or you Ex hold exchange it on an exchange. Yep, on an exchange, Coinbase, Gemini, Cash App, um, you know, you you name it. If you don't have the private keys, then you don't own the coins. Um, the private keys look like really they look like your public key, but they actually it's uh, they're uh, the the phrase is broken down to twelve to twenty four words that um, are on this BIP thirty nine encryption algorithm list, and basically these keys are kind of like the keys to your freedom, right? Um, it's 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 got a great uh, benefit over gold. Because with gold, it's physical. You know, you someone can you can lose it, um, someone can steal it from you. You can get it confiscated. With Bitcoin, it's 12 to 24 words that yes, you should write them down on a piece of paper. Yes, you should etch them into steel somewhere. But you can also remember them, and so you can lose everything. And as long as you have access to this tw these 12 to 24 words, and then later on down the road can get access to a cell phone uh, or a computer and a Wi-Fi signal, then you essentially have access to your account on yeah, the blockchain. It's like I've thought about this. If I had you, right, I could tattoo 12 words to my body, right? And yeah. I could go anywhere in the world and take my wealth with me, right? I don't mm -hmm. need to like smuggle it on a belt or any of that kind of stuff. So hold on a second. Before we finish up with you, Erica, we're going to hear a word from our sponsor, Travis. Who is our sponsor this week? Our sponsor is blockchainrecruiters.net. Hey, I happen to be the co-founder of blockchainrecruiters.net. And if you're looking for a job in crypto, find me on Twitter at the BTC recruiter. And if you can't find me on Twitter, then uh, you ain't ready for blockchain. If you want to go old school and send me an email, uh, I'm David J at blockchainrecruiters.net. Don't forget the net. Think net, net, net. And uh, also, as far as positions are concerned, um, I'm looking for a senior UX designer, and I've got a position for 
director may, of may have someone for that. How long have you had someone? Uh, I just talked to him the other day. I've been looking for this guy forever. You didn't say that. I can't okay. read mine. She's not my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Can you read your wife? Mine's wife? No, of course. Exactly. I can't read her mine either. I don't yeah, read mine. Well, if I could read mine's, uh, yeah. We'd be doing, a- a- yeah. Anyhow, uh, and also got a position for a director of blockchain design. So if you know anybody good, and if you actually are working any type of projects and need, we we aggregate at Blockchain Recruiters, we aggregate ta- aggregate talent in the blockchain space so everybody who is anything nft anything crypto blockchain bitcoin we have them we're talking community managers we're talking compliance we're talking portfolio managers we have them so is that pretty much it yep let's, let's go back to erica so erica so you know you actually offer you have a lot of thank you so much i was i was just like sitting here and on I'm but, just yeah well i do want to say that like uh the service that you're providing is awesome because for one you know bl- Blockchain developers probably get paid on average three times more than regular developers. No, 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 no. Shh, shh, don't say that. Shush. Oh, shush. What's hey. wrong with you? Proprietary information. No, 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 no. They get paid half as much, hey, but hey, hey uh, you get the opportunity to learn. Blockchain. No, I'm kidding. Go on. Hey, Travis, make sure you edit that part out. Uh, yeah, I'm going to edit it out. That cannot go on. Go on, go on Erica. Yeah, say what you're saying. So, three. But, but, yeah, I mean, he's providing a real service to you guys uh, because this is really, you know, anybody that asks me what they should do, I tell them you got to get into crypto, whether you're a lawyer um, or an accountant, you need to at least be knowledgeable about what's happening in this space. If you want to make sure that you have a great job in the years to come. Yeah. It's funny that you're just, you're, you're talking, you're talking about that because you haven't been a recruiter, right? And I'm 57 years old. I've been a professional recruiter since 1988 and I've always gotten, boy, we really, want to hire her but we just can't go any higher because of our budget right we're talking big companies like amazon walmart google disney we don't have in our budget it's like you made six trillion last year how do you not you know you're not having in your budget right but the thing about blockchain and crypto is it's it's abundance right and the thing about it is they'll pay you you'll be rewarded in tokens and that's the thing that can go up right and so when when you talk eric about the end of times i i think we just need to think about the way we get money. And, and people have always said to me, well, how much do you charge? And I say, possibly nothing, right? I mean, I don't know that we're going to work together, number one. That's where you get the nothing. But even so, like I say to these newly funded people, it's like, I don't want to break you, right? Give me you know, 40% and then give me stuff on the back end or whatever it is. Right? Because there's, there's just enough for everybody. And, that's, that's yeah. re- and then when you say it's God's money, it's, it's, it's like that. Now, some of us uh, early adopters, are going to add just they're going to have more. <laughs> gonna- yeah, I re- yeah, it really is because it's like when the CBDC is forced down our throats, we need to have a parallel system that we're going to be able to operate in and that's going to be Bitcoin. So, yeah. Erica, how do people find you? Right? What are you allowed to talk about? Right? Uh, I mean, <laughs> how do people find you? What offerings do you have? Yeah, so um, I have a Bitcoin hedge fund, and uh, I also, within that hedge fund, I am a venture director, so looking for interesting companies that uh, support the blockchain ecosystem. Uh, personally, you can find me on bankoferica.com, bank of E-R-Y-K-A. You can subscribe to my mailing list. Um, I do write for an offshore magazine, so helping people find second residencies, um, you know, passports. Yeah, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it because I'm a subscriber. <laughs> Escape artist. Escape, Escape artist, artist. Insiders magazine. Yeah, that's right. Go on. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it really helps people because we we live in a global world. It's increasingly global, so you have to know your options. Uh, the magazine really helps with that. Um, also, I, I do help people, only cool people, uh, about with like you know secu- securing their keys. Count me sure in. That you said, Count me yeah, in. You're you're I'm, in there. I'm so cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I used to do a lot of like one-on-one services, but now with the fun, it's just kind of gotten like a little bit less. Um, but definitely, like, not. I, I don't give investment advice. I'm not allowed to give investment advice, but I do help people navigate the blockchain system. So if you're shy to send your first transaction and you want some help or, you know, secure your private keys, make sure you don't get your Trezor and your ledger and you put your uh, Bitcoin in a way where you hold the assets, stuff like that, I I can definitely help with or I can send you to someone who will really, really help you um, and make sure that your your assets are safe and and not done improperly. You would hate to, you know, miss a word and and lose all your Bitcoin just because of some small error. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, that's the best way to find me is bankoferyka.com. Um, if you're on Telegram, I do run the largest chat room in Miami around uh, cryptocurrencies. My pin message has all the upcoming events for the month. And then every day at 11, um, someone posts the upcoming events for the day. And you can go to the, the channel is called Miami Bitcoin Forever. So Wow, that's great. I mean, I'm tempted to just roll another hour because I'm just captivated for all the brilliant things you're saying. I just want to say I just had this idea and I was thinking about putting it into execution and I said, yeah, maybe it's a little too soon. But in, in solidarity, I was so moved with what Jack Mahler's said. In, uh, when I watched Jack Mahler's break down his, his, his project and his pilgrimage to El Salvador and how the president of El Salvador came on and said, we're going we're gonna to pass a law the next week. Make, I was crying. I mean, not bawling, but because I, 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 it's happening. And I was yeah. thinking, what about a movement where Bitcoiners go down to El Salvador, go to Bitcoin Beach, right? Rent Airbnb, stay in hotels, and patronize everybody and only pay in Bitcoin. Right? I mean, I mean st- start that movement. Like, let's, let's go help them get this thing going. You never wanted to go to El Salvador? Go now. Yeah, I did go to El Salvador. It was really great. And I think that what the government is doing there is fantastic. Did you pay in Bitcoin? Were you walking around with your strike app paying for everything in Bitcoin? Uh, I can't say exactly what I was doing down there. Okay. Let's just say that um, El Salvador and Bitcoin is real. I know there's a lot of people who are talking and they they don't like it. They have their own opinions. Um, But I think that we need to have hope that Citadel nations are being built up. And El Salvador, for some reason, is one of them. Well, you need to remember when the flush toilet came into order, people said, this is awful. This is unsanitary. We can't have be doing that in the house. We need to go 50 yards away from the house and dig a hole, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing about when the, the car engine came and the horse and buggy. It's like, look at all the smoke. and You got to put gas in it. You, gotta, you know, it's just uh, change is hard. Yeah. For sure. I just don't want to be one of those people. I want to be one of those people that pushes it forward in a good way, right? Just like you. <laughs> I, I think we, we already are. I, I, I'm just going to say, when I went to BitBlockBoom for the very, very first time, I looked around me and I said, this is, this is like the founding fathers. This is really what this is. It's, it's, and I don't consider myself a founding father. I'm kind of like Paul Revere. I'll do a little yelling on a horse. Hey, watch out over there. Right? But seriously, Eric Agema. You've been an absolute delight, and this is going to be a great episode, and I know my wife is going to be so proud. I'm going to give a shout-out to the lovely Miss Rita James. We call her, She's referred to as the lovely Rita. I love you, baby. Anyhow, uh, Erica Gemma, thank you so much. Uh, Travis, thank you for being the master You're engineer. You're welcome.
Trusted co-host Dave Hampton, Robo Recruiter, thank you so much. And remember, everybody, I'm David James, the Job Whisperer. And under all circumstances, at some time in your life, you must get whispered.